In John 1, it starts with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message version of the Bible. He says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now that is a bold move to start your account of the savior with the words in the beginning. But that's where John goes. I mean, I'm not sure of any other books that have started with that phrase other than the book of Genesis as the creation poem begins there, The words start, the poem begins with the words, in the beginning. And so John is saying, in the beginning, in that beginning, was the word. And so at the beginning of all the other beginnings, there is Jesus, God the Son, and he is present with God the Father. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. Now, this is an important theological point that some of the cults and and false religions get wrong. Jesus is not the first creation. He is the creator. He was not created by the Father. He is there with the Father. He is distinct. He is his own person. He is there as part of the Godhead operating in complete unity all together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but Jesus, God the Son, is there with the Father. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Apostle Paul picks this up in Colossians chapter 1, talking about Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus came to earth. Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood to give us an image of the invisible God. 
Now, if you're here and you like Bible studies and you like to mark up your Bible, I'd love for you in Colossians chapter one, verse 15, you can just circle the word uh, firstborn. Firstborn, in Greek, it's the word protokos. It could be defined as first among first. For the scientists, this is the verse that says Jesus is the first cause. And let me give you another way to translate this particular word firstborn, which you could write out in the margin. It's the word preeminent or overall. He is overall in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible and the creator of all. And how did he create everything you see and everything you don't see? The psalmist says it this way in Psalm chapter 33, verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host in the beginning was the word, the spoken word that created Yet Jesus is at the beginning of the beginnings. In fact, he is before the beginning of all the other beginnings. He is first and he is the one who we celebrate laying down in a manger. The one in the manger is the one who is the beginning of all the other beginnings. In this crucial verse, John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh, the word, the one who created and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word for dwelt is the word for tent, but this is not some kind of temporary camping tent. This is, he set up shop. He was going to live among us. And the word among is so very important because it means middle. Jesus didn't live around or beside or over in the corner. Rather, he came and laid in a manger so that he could live among. And the manger is a reminder that God today still wants to get in the middle of every circumstance of your life, no matter how plain or ordinary or messy you think you might be. His desire is to be among you. His desire is to dwell right in the middle. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Oh, you never forget the day when he moves into the neighborhood. That's a big deal when Jesus moves into the neighborhood. Here they come now. I mean, you try not to be the nosy neighbor, but you couldn't help it. You go right to the front window and you open up the blinds, peek your head out, and here they come. Two angels and a truck. It's the most amazing thing you have ever seen coming right into the neighborhood. They pull onto the street where you live. They unpack the boxes that are so neat, when they open up the back of that truck, you've never seen anything like it. They unpack the boxes with precision and speed. His yard, oh, I'm jealous. His yard is always mowed and edged, always looks like it just happened, like fresh, no weeds. The bushes are always trimmed. I don't know how anyone gets time to do that, but he can speak a word and they're trimmed. It's the most amazing thing. I keep trying to catch it when it happens. And the house looks like it's always got a fresh paint job. But when Jesus moves into the neighborhood, this is much more than just happy and neat appearance. Rather, when Jesus moves into the neighborhood, he makes himself available. He leads the way with kindness and hospitality and love. When Jesus moves into the neighborhood, he 
hangs a sign in the middle of the wreath on the front door that says, everybody's welcome. Everyone belongs. He never seems to be inconvenienced by interruptions and the posture that he takes on the front porch or while he's in the yard seems to indicate that he actually invites the interruptions. When Jesus moves into the neighborhood, he places himself right in the middle because that's where he came to be. He came to be the word who became flesh, who would dwell right in the middle of us. And so when something good happens in the neighborhood, everybody wants to make sure Jesus knows what happened. I mean, he did, but you want to tell him. Let's make sure that he knows about the promotion. Let's make sure he knows about the child that won the spelling bee, that did the great thing at school because Jesus rejoices with those who rejoice. When the community wants to have a party, we want to have a cookout. Well, of course we want to have it at Jesus' house. He never runs out of food or beverages. He's always got exactly what we need. He came to dwell right in the middle of every circumstance, whether ordinary or messy or whatever it may be. When there's a death that impacts a family in the neighborhood, everyone wants to make sure Jesus is aware of it. When someone loses their job and they're not sure whether or not they're going to be able to stay in that house, everyone wants to make sure that Jesus is aware of it. When there's a cancer diagnosis, everyone wants to make sure that Jesus knows what's going on. When the couple down the street is on the edge of throwing in the towel and throwing their marriage to the side, everyone wants to make sure that Jesus is aware of it. And when there are doubts and questions that no one has the answer to, everyone seems to say the same thing. Well, have you had a talk with Jesus? He seems to actually enjoy the questions. He puts himself right in the middle of the action. And as a result, John says in verse 4 of John 1, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Life and light, it comes up over and over again in John's writings. Also in his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but particularly in 1st John, he says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, life and light. He is the light of men. He is the life of men. And here's another way to say that. The darkness doesn't overcome it. And some of your translations may even say the darkness has not understood it. Darkness doesn't understand life and light. In fact, Jesus' neighbor is not happy that he is in the middle of the neighborhood. In a 17th century French village called Maudsen, local villagers began to experience miracles. And in all of the research that I did, everyone pretty much refers to this story in the same way. Lots of different historians and folks have looked at this, but they will just call it a historical anecdote because we don't know exactly what happened. We just know that there were miracles. And that people from all over the region in this 17th century French village began to come to this place. So much so that it began to be overrun. And so the leaders of the village who were not a fan of the crowds and not a fan of what was happening, they decided to send word to the highest place they absolutely could. And we don't know if it was Louis Thirteenth or Louis Fourteenth, but they asked if he as king could do something and put a stop 
to the miracles. And so they received a proclamation from the king that was made into a sign and was hung in the village. There will be no miracles here (laughs) by order of the king. There will be no miracles here by order of the king. Recently, a Scottish-born atheist by the name of Nathan Cawley created a piece of portable art that brought this saying into the modern day. And if you've been with us in Scotland, perhaps you've seen this. It's not far from the National Museum in a place called Dean's Garden in Edinburgh, Scotland, where it is now permanently fixed. I wanted you to have a look at it. First time I saw it, took my breath away. First time I saw it, Spirit of God, not audibly, but just put on my heart. This is why Westridge Church and others have been called to Scotland. Is because of sentiment just like this. John says, light has come and the darkness doesn't understand it. On top of the scaffolding, the sign is about six foot high and it was created with light bulbs so that it can be seen even at night. This declaration can be made. There will be no miracles here. The artist himself says this, to decree that there will be no miracles here is to deny and forbid even the possibility of divine intervention in this particular site. As declaration of a miracle-free zone, it asserts God's power to be subordinate. God's power subordinate. Beneath. Below. Not possible. How do you answer the atheist, the skeptic, the cynic, the disenfranchised who declare a miracle-free zone? There's at least one, maybe more, but there's at least one that's declared that over their seat today. Miracle-free zone. That's okay. There are others who have a similar question, if we're being honest. They maybe would not be so obstinate as to say there will be no miracles here. But maybe the question that they would ask is, will there be miracles here in my seat? in my circumstance, in my life. John declared, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then as the scripture keeps going, he says, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. What is John talking about? How do you see Glory. This idea of what you've seen and heard comes up over and over again in the New Testament. When you really experience Jesus dwelling among you, when you really experience Jesus in the middle of the circumstance, you cannot help but proclaim what you have seen. 
and what you've heard. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, after Jesus has resurrected and ascended into heaven, Peter and John are in Jerusalem and they are walking up to the temple and they go past a very familiar area, the area where most everyone at some point would walk by. It was a gate called the Beautiful Gate and there was a lame beggar there at that gate and he reaches out and he calls out and in this moment in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John have a, a quick discourse and a conversation and then this guy is healed. This lame beggar in Jerusalem that everyone would have recognized is healed and now everyone has recognized that he's walking around and the scriptures say in Acts chapter 4 now that thousands have come to faith. As many as 5,000 people have come to faith and the religious leaders have no idea what to do with this miracle. What do you do when you discover Jesus is actually in the middle of a circumstance. Hey, this guy had been lame perhaps since birth. How do you deal with this? Well, the religious leaders come up with an idea for Peter and John. They say in Acts 4, 16, what do we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders in Jerusalem have just called Peter and John in and declared, there will be no miracles here. So Peter and John have a response for that. Verse 19 Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have seen his glory. And we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're inviting you to experience it along with us. John declared the word became flesh and dwelt among us, got right in the middle of our circumstance And as a result, he says, we have seen his glory. How do you see glory? Glory is defined oftentimes as honor or fame or renown. How do you see those things? He was right in the middle of us and we saw it with our own eyes and we can only describe it as glory. What is it? In the Old Testament, the word glory can be defined with the word weight. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 24 and in a couple of other places, he says, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with the weight of God. But in the New Testament, John declares the glory of God to be visible. He has seen it. His glory is visible. The word that John uses for glory means this. It means something with intrinsic value or infinite worth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen 
his glory. In other words, we have seen that it is absolutely worth it to follow this Jesus. We have seen all that he's done. We've seen his work in the lives of others. We've heard his teaching. We've watched him. And the only thing that we can even begin, the only word we can even begin to use to describe this is glory. We have seen the glory of God. How do you see the glory of God? By putting him in the middle of all of your circumstances. Is there any circumstance right now where you would say, you know what? He's beside it. He's around it. Honestly, I kind of put him behind it. Actually, I took him out of this because this doesn't feel like the place of a holy God. And yet the invitation of the manger is to take the one who is from the beginning of the beginnings and place him in the middle of your circumstance. And it begins, John chapter 1, verse 12, with this. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What does it mean? Every single person born of flesh and blood, that's you and me have been given the opportunity, the invitation to be born of God. Every single person has received the invitation of the manger to have the beginning of the beginnings be placed in the middle to dwell among your life. Every single person has been given the opportunity to not just have an ordinary flesh and blood life, but to have the eternal life of God planted inside of you. The word became flesh and dwelt among you because he wants to be right in the middle of your circumstance so that with confidence you can hang a new banner over your life that will read, there will be miracles here. In my life, In this place, in my house, we will put Jesus in the middle of our circumstance. And there will be miracles here. A miracle occurs whenever someone receives salvation. Whenever someone becomes born of God. And that one is the first one that leads to others. You cannot put Jesus in the middle of any circumstance without seeing his worth. You cannot put Jesus in the middle of any circumstance without seeing the divine do what only he can do. I want to share some stories with you. I'm not going to use their names. I didn't ask permission. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this is just from our church in the last few weeks. People who decided to put Jesus in the middle of their circumstance. I'm talking about someone breaking free from addiction because Jesus is in the middle of their circumstance. I'm talking about the miracle of a marriage on the brink of disaster, returning to a place of love and romance. And if you knew them, you would say, hallelujah, what a savior, what a miracle. It's amazing what God has done. I'm talking about people being made whole from cancer and sickness and disease. 
I'm talking about the restoration of families and of relationships where forgiveness has taken place. I'm talking about financial provision. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we testify, we have seen that he is worth it. We have seen his glory. I didn't say it wasn't hard. I didn't say some days you're thrown, I didn't say that you're not some days thrown into a lion's den or to a fiery furnace or left in a prison to rot. I didn't say someone got rich. I didn't say someone won the lottery. I didn't say there wasn't chemo. I didn't say there wasn't rehab. All I'm saying is that when Jesus is put in the middle of those circumstances, all of those things become participants to the miracles. Participants to the miracles. Mary of Nazareth was not the miracle. A wonderful young gal, I'm sure. But the Virgin Mary was a participant in the miracle. Joseph was given the privilege of of raising Christ and somehow teaching him to be a stonecutter and a carpenter. And he became a miracle, a participant in the miracle of the life of Jesus. The wise men didn't manufacture a star. They didn't manufacture a sign in the heavens, but they followed it. And they became participants in the miracle. The shepherds outside Bethlehem, the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, they were afraid. They were so afraid, they were sore afraid. How afraid is that? It is really, really scared. These poor guys out on the hillsides outside Bethlehem watching, standing guard over their flocks by night. And yet when they heard what had happened, the scriptures say they went right away to go see the babe. And they became participants in the miracle, the word became flesh so that he could be right in the middle of your circumstance. And so you could declare, I have seen his glory. I have seen that he is worth it. There is no circumstance that you cannot put him in the middle of and not experience the divinity of God the miracles of God, it may not be easy. In fact, it probably won't be easy. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus came to make things easy, to take all our problems away or anything like that. It's so much better than that. Rather, the one who was from the beginning of the beginnings came to dwell among us, to make it personal, to be right in the middle of your circumstance. It begins with salvation. That's the most crucial starting point for all the others. But he didn't come so that salvation would just be the only miracle you'd experience. He didn't come for you to receive him and then set him off to the side or behind you. Rather, he came to dwell among you. Right in the middle. And John chapter 1 verse 14 ends this way. John keeps going. He says, we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. A hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. The one who is from the beginning of all the other beginnings. But why? Why? What is Christmas all about? 
why did the word become flesh? John chapter six, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. First John chapter four, verse 14 says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. The baby in that manger came to die for you. And we have seen, John says, John has seen it with his own eyes that he is risen. And that little cave with the manger on the outskirts of Bethlehem only matters because of the empty tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem. But it is empty today. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because of his resurrection, he can still dwell right in the middle. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, the savior of the world. From the beginning of the beginnings, and yet he sees you, he knows you by name. And he wants to be in the midst of all of it. Yeah, the hurt, the pain, the sadness, the sorrow, grief. It happens, I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I know things don't always go right. I know things go massively wrong. I've seen the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. And yet, I can testify that he never quit and I didn't either. And at the end of the darkest and most difficult of circumstances, I can declare I have seen his glory. And you'll see it too if you'll commit to put him right in the middle. Let him dwell among you. Would you bow your heads with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's where it all begins. The word became flesh for that reason. So that if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you might receive him as your savior. So today, if you would, If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in him right now, you can pray and do that. You might want to pray in your own words, something like this, God, I give my life to you right now. I believe that the baby laying in the manger was God in flesh. He came and he died on the cross His blood was shed for my sins, for my mistakes, and he's risen from the dead now for me. 
that I may take hold of life that's truly life. If you're here today and you've decided today I'm calling out, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, I'm praying to trust him right now with my life, receive him as my savior, you can text the word follow to 77453. Or you can write it down on the Get Connected card and give us your information there, but this is seemed to be the easiest way to text the word follow to 77453. You can take a minute and do that now. That's all right. If that's you. For the rest of the believers in this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, you know him, you know the story, you received him, maybe recently, maybe as a kid. Is there a circumstance? Is there something where you haven't had him in the middle? So you're not experiencing him and you've started to wonder whether or not there will be miracles here. Whether or not he actually cares. Prayer allows you to be a participant in the miracle. Inviting others allows you to be a participant in the miracle. Generosity allows you to be a participant in the miracle. Right now, what is it where you need to put him right in the middle to participate in what he wants to do in your life? It's why he sent him in a manger. He could have done it a different way. It's just a bonus, this part of the story. But this is what this season is about, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see his glory. God, encourage my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. May every single one of us, God, put you in the middle of everything, of our marriages, our families, raising kids, jobs, finances, relationships. God, in the way we demonstrate your kindness and love to our neighbors down the street, and the way we treat each other, God, may we put you on display, put us right where you want us to be, God. You be the center, be preeminent, be overall, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.